Welcome to our newest Hearts Unite the Globe hug patrons. Annie Olchek, we sincerely appreciate your support. Thank you for joining our community and making a difference through Patreon. Judy Miller, thank you for being our first Buzzsprout supporter for Bereave But Still Me. Buzzsprout started a new program where you can actually support the podcast of your choice. There are so many ways you can support Hug. All you have to do is visit our website, heartsunitetheglobe.com, to see how you too can help empower, educate, and enrich the lives of individuals in the CHD and bereaved communities. Thank you all for your continued support. Welcome to the eighth season of Heart to Heart with Anna. Our theme this season is care for adults with congenital heart defects, and I have a great show for you today. Today's show is transitioning from teen to adult, and our guests are Nicole Vickery and Sarah Clark. Nicole Vickery is executive producer and president of Silent Cries Productions, Incorporated, and producer at Wolf Entertainment Productions. She has worked for years in the nonprofit sector, most recently with the Adult Congenital Heart Association. Nicole Vickery is a tetralogy of fellows survivor. Nicole attended the University of South Alabama, majoring in business finance with a minor in public relations. She resides in Huntsville and devotes her time to CHD education through public speaking engagements, the use of social media, book publications, and film production. She has one daughter adopted from China in 1996, currently a senior at the University of South Alabama and her second daughter, adopted from India in 2000, passed away in August 2000 at 13 months of age from complications from cerebral palsy. We'll meet Sarah Clark in the second segment of the show. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, Nicole. Hi, Anna. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure chatting with you. Oh, it's always a pleasure for me to chat with you, and my longtime listeners may remember that you were on the show way back in season four when you did the show Silent Cries, Moving from Philanthropist to Producer. It's great to be back. Thanks. Yes, it seems like a long time ago. Just as a brief update for those of your listeners interested, after my second pulmonary valve replacement last year, I'm doing better health-wise than I ever have. And Silent Cries, we put the documentary portion in the can. It's done, and we're ready to start filming the narrative portion of the first docudramedy. I say that because we've got to have comedy in there, not just some drama, (laughs) about CHD ever produced. And It's called Collisions, Rocking the Scars, because that's what I'm all about is rocking my scar. And I'd like to ask your listeners to stay tuned to our Facebook page and websites for ways that they can help make this film become reality so we can educate and support research on this critical issue. Well, I'm so glad to hear that you have made some progress. I'm excited for you. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. (laughs) Wow. Yes, please. And do keep me posted 
Okay, well, let's get back to the show. So in our previous communication, you worked really hard from transitioning from a teenager to an adult to make sure you did everything right. That's what you were telling me about. But then things went wrong. So why don't you share with us a few things that gave you difficulty in transitioning from teen to adult and what you did right that still turned out wrong? Well, I think first and foremost, speaking of age, I reached adulthood at the end of the 1980s. And pediatric cardiology was a medical school discipline. Adult congenital heart disease was not taught in college. It was taught through a mentorship programs. And one, in fact, that's kept me alive this long when I should have been gone a long time ago. Things that were right growing up, my parents never sheltered me from my heart issues as a child. They always answered questions I had. I was lucky my dad left medical school to join the space program in the early 60s but probably helped most of us all because we had medical textbooks and always had a new PDR every year because he remained interested in medicine and also wanted to stay on top of what was going on with me, his child. And he's never spared an expense with us where it comes to health. Even to this day, he tells me, if you need to go to a doctor or a hospital, I'll pay for it. I'll find a way. You just stay on top of things and stay well. But with that wonderful education and support group from my family, I transferred to South Alabama as a sophomore in 1989. And one of the first things I did after turning 19 is I went to look for a cardiologist. I thought, you're an adult. It's time to see somebody. I had not seen anyone since 1980. And I thought that to get in with uh, practice would be a good idea. So my GP was well acquainted with the entire South Alabama cardiac group out there. And he sent me to see someone specific. That group got it wrong and sent me to a different doctor. I ended up in a test, rushed in for a transesophageal echo, then emergency heart catheterization, where the doctor was dealing with something he was not informed on at all. He basically almost killed me on the cath table, for one thing. They didn't medicate me properly. He was yelling at me during the cath. And the whole experience still shakes me to the core today. And that was almost 30 years ago. I was only 19, so I decided that I tried again. I finally got in with the doctor that my GP wanted me to see. But the thing that they didn't know that we really know now is that no regular cardiologist knows anything really about adult congenital cardiology. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the biggest mistakes. By the time I was 25, I wanted to start a family. And I went to my cardiologist in Mobile, went to my GP, my GYN, and they would say, well, your heart's moderately large. You don't have pulmonary hypertension. That's good. But then they would say, if you have a child, you're probably going to die. So you shouldn't have children. And the GYN was ready to give me a hysterectomy anyway. I didn't listen to my own voice in my head. I didn't listen to my heart. Instead, I let other people insinuate their ideas on me. And instead of going and getting a checkup in Birmingham where I had gone as a child, I listened to the people around me and I just went ahead with the hysterectomy and proceeded with trying to adopt children. I did everything I could to keep my heart healthy and I would have a different life had I gone back to Birmingham. I learned in 2007 that had I gotten back there in my early 20s, I would have gotten a new pulmonary valve and I probably could have had children. My career would be on the trajectory that it was on in my early 20s. I would never have been in heart failure, which I was for over a decade, and my life would have been different. But at the same time, I can't regret it all because I can't imagine my life without my beautiful China doll, who my then-husband adopted in 96. It's just really interesting to see, no matter how hard you try, sometimes the system fails you. And that's one thing that I try to get out to 
parents and teens and tweens know your story and look at the next step in life before you make it so that you're ready and prepared for it. I was just flying by the seat of my pants and didn't know what I was doing. And I was alone because my parents were 350 miles away. Wow. So it seems the most important lesson you've learned is knowing your story, but also getting the right help in the right place. Am I understanding you properly, Nicole? Absolutely. I think that those are very critical lessons. Most importantly is to learn to listen to myself, my body, my heart. Nobody can feel what I feel. And I've even talked to pain doctors about this. If I break my leg, you can empathize with a shared experience, but you don't know exactly what my pain feels to me and how it feels and how it affects my daily life. It's the same thing with our hearts. Nobody knows but you. I fought with doctors for years, banging my head against the proverbial wall, hospital visits, repetition of my story until I was blue in the face and darn near death. By the time I found a doctor to really listen, I was really, really sick, a 36-year-old with a teenager, and I found a doctor who wasn't too arrogant to say, I cannot help you, but I think I know who can. And those words changed my life forever. I found myself back in the same pediatric cardiology facility I'd visited for years as a child, Now I was with my cardio's protege. That's how they mentored back in the 80s and the 90s. And um, yeah, it took them a few months to get it right, but they realized I needed to open heart stat. I mean, they only do children in the summer and I had a June 26th slot. (laughs) So that tells you anything. It was an emergency. They had to do it. And so as I move into this next stage of life, I want to take those lessons learned because I have cardio's now. They're getting ready to retire. And so I'm going to have to go through this all over again. And they don't understand how stressful it is. It <laughs> is stressful. you finally have a system in place, no other doctor's going to take it and just go by that. You've got to reinvent the wheel every time. Yeah. And that is very stressful. My sympathy goes to you, Nicole, because it's very scary. It's not just stressful. It's scary. What if somebody who comes in next gets it wrong? Right. I mean, at least when you were with your doctor's protege, you knew he knew what your other doctor knew. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And, and if he didn't, he could pick up the phone and call him. That is the one good thing about the pediatric cardiology community. I never drank. I never smoked. I never did drugs. All because I was scared it would kill me. Right. I, did, I really did everything I could to make sure I stayed alive. But the quality of my life has suffered to the point where there have been days that I don't even know, why did I do all this? <laughs> Is this it? Are my best days behind me? And I spent it doing that. (laughs) Yeah, and you don't expect to think that in your 20s or in your 30s. No, never. Uh -uh. You really don't. But I think, thank heavens, you did do all the things right. Because imagine what your body would have been like if you had abused it. And instead of abusing it, it seems like you pampered your body. You were very detail-oriented with your body. You knew that you had to take care of it if you wanted it to take care of you. And so I I commend you for doing all the right things, Nicole. I really do. It's not easy. It's not easy to avoid peer pressure. It's not easy to avoid all the vices that are out there. But we're going to talk about what advice you and Sarah have in the third segment. But don't leave yet, listeners, because when we come back, we get a chance to meet Sarah Clark and discover the challenges that she faced in transitioning from a teen to an adult CHD survivor. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to our show, Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Today's show is transitioning from teen to adult, and our guests are Nicole Vickery and Sarah Clark. We just finished talking with Nicole Vickery about some of the difficulties she experienced in transitioning from a teen to an adult survivor, and now we're going to turn our attention to Sarah Clark. Dr. Sarah Clark is on a mission to make her transposition of the great arteries and mustard procedure the least interesting thing about her. Sarah is Associate Library Director at the Rogers State University Libraries in Claremore, Oklahoma, and recently completed her doctorate in higher education leadership at Oklahoma State University. She also blogs and podcasts about library leadership issues at betterlibraryleaders.com. In her spare time, Sarah knits, writes, plays tabletop RPGs, and co-hosts Zilch, a monkey's podcast. The podcast is about the 50-year-old boy band, not the primates. Sarah lives in Northeast Oklahoma with her husband and two cats. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, Sarah. Oh, I'm thrilled to be here, Anna. This is going to be fun. I know. You and I have so many things in common, and I love the monkeys. Woohoo! Well, I grew up with the monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> well, then you should be listening to Zilch. <laughs> I do need to check out Zilch, but I also want to check out the BetterLibraryLeaders.com podcast because I think that is going to be fascinating. Let's talk about you transitioning from a teenager with transposition of the great vessels to an adult survivor. Talk to us about your transition. Okay. When I aged out in the late 90s, because I'm a little bit younger than Nicole, I was basically told by my cardiologist, Dr. Razuk, to go have a good life. I think he did not mean that in any sort of negative, I think you're really going to die, so I'm going to lie to you about it way, but more in a positive, things look really good for you way, because I had pretty much been healthy since my mustard. I'd never really had any serious issues. He did tell me to check in with a cardiologist, quote, if I had a problem, and preferably somebody who did know something about CHD. In fact, he even suggested that if I ran into any issues to call his office and they'd refer me to somebody. But see, here's the thing. I never had a problem, so I didn't really know what to be looking for. So I was just going on my life. I finished college. I got my first job. I had two or three kind of hectic years of just transitioning into being a grown-up. And... I guess right before I got married, I thought it would be a good idea to check in with a cardiologist. So I called around the Tulsa area, found somebody who said they were an expert in ACHD. So I was like, yay, I'm doing the right thing. So I went to make his appointment and I actually went in first to do an echo and... In retrospect, this should have been warning flag number one, because I walk in, I do the echo, I start getting ready to do my thing. The tech walks in, he's about 18 tops. I mean, he's like just this little baby-faced kid. And, you know, I'm used to the people who are doing this all day. He walks in and he says, oh, hi, have you ever had an echo before? And... I'm like, did you even look at my chart? At this point, I'm pulling off my shirt and all the scars become apparent. It's like, yes, I've done this before. (laughs) And I get down on the table. They put on the goo. He starts doing his thing with the wand. And then he just gets this utterly confused look on his face when he sees the screen. Because, of course, I am transposition and I'm mustard and a systemic right ventricle. And... Bless this poor kid's heart. I, 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 you know, but he's like, he's like, I don't understand where anything is. And I said, I have transposition of the great arteries with a mustard procedure. And 
he's like i didn't i was yeah i thought it was a condiment sweetie i know (laughs) i i think he kind of did because he literally was pulling medical books off the shelf trying to make heads or tail of it and i'm like okay yeah this is gonna be great so then the next week i come back in to have my actual visit with the cardiologist he sticks an oxygen sensor on my finger. I don't think he even did an EKG. We talked for about, I don't know, 10 minutes tops. My fiance was there and basically he was asking me if I was having all these problems. I said, no, 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 no. And he was like, well, then I'm kind of confused as to why you're here. Everything looks good to me. Have a good day. And I was like, okay then. And I couldn't find anybody else in the Tulsa area at that time, thank goodness it's changed, who specialized in CHD, and there was also probably a little bit of denial going on. So I lived my life for the next about eight to ten years, I think, and I didn't see a cardiologist. There was definitely some denial going on. Fortunately, I didn't have any serious issues, though in retrospect, I wonder if I was having a little bit of fluid back up but I'm not just like a little bit of water weight that I thought was just me being chubby but I was also chubby but we'll get to that so in I guess around 2010 2011 we were at the car place and flipping through the Tulsa monthly community magazine and they were doing a piece on the 50 up-and-coming doctors in Tulsa and then I just was skimming the cardiologist as you do and I saw that we now had a guy in Tulsa who specialized in folks with CHDs Alan Kaneshigi great guy so I was like, you know, it has been a while and I probably ought to just get looked at and make sure everything's okay. So I call him, I make an appointment, I go in and I'm feeling a little nervous about it, but not big. And then A, first I had to get on the scale and I got to see a number that I had not quite realized I had gotten to. And then after that, uh, I found out that I had a right ventricle ejection fraction of 42%. And I then had to go find out what an ejection fraction was. And he explained it to me. And he said, that's not great. And I said, well, where is the point that I should start worrying? And he said, we start getting concerned about people once they're in the mid to high 30s. And I was like, 42 is not that far away from that. So I basically freaked out. I went full bore, low carb paleo. I was working out five days a week. I mean, I kind of had to start walking and then I kind of was able to transition into a couch to 5k thing. He put me on my first heart med since I was a toddler. I was on Lasartan and then later on he moved me to Lisinopril just for blood pressure and I was losing tons of weight. I think a fair bit of water weight too, like I mentioned, but a ton of fat too. I wound up losing over 40 pounds in six months. I was getting fit. I was kind of walk, running, waddling 5Ks. And um, (laughs) when I had my follow-up MRI, my ejection fraction went from 42 to 55. And it wasn't that I was in bad health when I went to see him. I was just what I thought was my normal. But because I'd never been on a heart med, certainly not in my living memory, and because I didn't know how things had changed in the decade or so I'd been out of care, I was just open to these whole new vistas that I could do in my life. I could run. I never thought I'd be able to run, and I could run like two or three minutes at a stretch now. It's amazing. I used to be one of those people where I had to get eight hours of sleep a night or I would not be able to function now. I do just fine on six and a half, and it's just little things like that 
that have helped me sort of get a new lease on life. Plus, I've kind of come to a new emotional understanding of my mustard. I've sort of embraced it a little bit more, and I don't think I would have been able to take that emotional part of the journey without getting back into care. Wow. Wow. Okay, you and Nicole could definitely write a book (laughs) just about transitioning. I mean, really, this is such a huge issue, and I don't find enough people talking about it, and that's why I think it's so important for us to talk about it on this show. There are lots of different ways to transition. Unfortunately, so many of the adults that I'm talking to this season, and it's so much fun to do a whole season just with adults because I'm learning so much, but so many people, especially people who are 30 years of age and older, were told they were fixed or were told just come back if you have a problem, and they pretty much were lost to follow-up care. And now they're coming back to it thanks to the ACHA or thanks to whatever it is that brought them back into having cardiac care, and they're saying it's a whole new world out there. It's just totally different. Like you said, there are different meds or different training for the doctors. So they actually know what to do with you adults. Because let's face it, you guys aren't easy. We're weird. We're special. Well, Sarah, what do you think was the most important lesson you learned from that transition? It seems like there were a lot of lessons, but what was the most important one? It's all about finding your balance. I did need to find out who I was aside from the whole Part thing, I mean, my parents actually did a really good job of not making it a very big part of my life, and it rarely came up other than my clinic day once a year, really. But I still had to figure out how to balance it with the rest of my life. For me, I found that I do grudgingly have to make CHD part of my life, but I've also figured out a way to give it the minimum attention possible to make sure that I have a healthy life in all senses of the world because okay if you're getting the best care in the world and your heart's as good as it can be given your situation but you're afraid to take that cool vacation or find a way to be a parent if that's something very important to you in your life or any of the other things that I hear people fretting about I mean that I've heard people freaking out about whether or not they should get tattoos I mean I'm like okay check and make sure there's something you don't need to do to protect yourself but at the end of the day If you want to go to China, go to China. If you want to get the darn tattoo, get the darn tattoo, because I don't think that my cardiologist and my heart surgeon went to all the fuss to have me just sit in my room for my entire life afraid to live. I think I'm supposed to squeeze every bit of life I am supposed to squeeze out of it, and, you know, I'm having fun, too. (laughs) So finding your balance is what it's about. I love it. I love it. I agree. And I think that's true whether you have asthma, a heart defect, Mm -hmm. cancer. I mean, look, there are so many people who have different kinds of disabilities that interfere with them having the kind of life they want to. It's all about balance. Okay, so you have asthma. Make sure that you have your inhaler with you. Okay, you have cancer. We'll get treatment early. Okay, so you have ADHD. I mean, let's face it. Just about every human being has something that they're dealing with. And if you can find that balance where you do what you said... Pay the minimal amount of attention so that you're taking care of those needs, but don't make that the focal point of your life. Focus on having a quality life. I think we'd all be happier, healthier people. Mm-hmm. I love it. Okay, well, we're out of time for this segment. We have to take a quick commercial break, but don't leave yet, folks, because as you can see, these women are just amazing. We're going to have both of them in the studio together and talk to them about what advice they have for others with congenital heart defects. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to our show, Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Today's show is transitioning from teen to adult, and we have two fabulous guests, Nicole Vickery and Sarah Clark. And we just finished talking with Sarah Clark about some of the things that she experienced in her transition period. And Sarah, you could be a comedian. You had me in stitches for that <laughs> session. And I think of what was so funny is it's so true. And so it's something that I hear. I know other adults with CHDs are going to be listening to this and saying, oh, my gosh, that's my life. She lived my life. It's so well, you know, you can you can either mope about this stuff or you can laugh about it. And I chose many, many years ago that laughing about it was more fun. So there you go. Amen, <laughs> sister. Sing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because preach, girl. Because that's the way I've been my entire life. I don't mm-hmm. cry about it. I laugh. It's my yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. You <laughs> girls are just amazing. Okay, so now we need your advice. I mean, clearly you ladies have lived through this. You know exactly what it's like to transition from teen to adult. And let's face it, most of your life, God willing, you are an adult. You are not a kid. And you're a teenager for a very short period of time. So we need to know how to make that transition as smooth as possible. So Nicole, let's start with you. What advice do you have for teenage CHD survivors who are listening to this show? Well, first of all, be glad you didn't grow up when I did. (laughs) Just the decade of difference between Sarah and myself, Mm -hmm. I didn't know what an echo was because we didn't have echoes (laughs) until Mm -hmm. they had them and it was new, you know, when I started my adult care. But talk to your parents as soon as you can. And parents, talk to your children from the time that they are aware of their bodies and scars on them. And don't make their lives revolve around their CHD. But teens, ask questions. Read your clinic notes. These are things that doctors didn't do in my day. I have one clinic note from my pediatric cardiologist and basically didn't say much of anything. And start thinking about your cardiac care as you plan for college or whatever your other post-high school plans are. And working it in there, you don't have to live with your CHD defining you. It sounds like I do, but it's just because of my advocacy work. Believe me, I don't let other people know about it most of the time, Mm -hmm. trying to talk about it. But you do have to have a plan. And I think if you decide you're going to school in Timbuktu, then you need to find the best adult congenital heart doctor in Timbuktu who knows about your particular defect. Because these centers regionally are specialized in in different disciplines, like tetralogy of flow. People will go to one place where transposition will go to a different cardiac center. So learn about that and make plans just like you would for your career. You go in as entry level and you start looking at the next step. Something I learned in the Martian, you solve the first problem, then you move on to the next problem. If you keep solving problems long enough, you get to live, in -hmm. our case. I think that's a good takeaway for our kids coming out. Okay, I love it. Yeah, I agree 100%. I love it. Okay, Sarah, what would be your advice to a teenager who is listening to this show? My advice is that you can't live in fear about the future because I've seen so much innovation and improvement even just in the last five years. We're at the lucky sweet spot being a little younger than say, Nicole, that we've got enough people in line ahead of us that they're sort of figuring out the early bugs in the system. And most likely, if something comes up, they will have seen it before and be able to take care of us. But at the same time, the flip side of not living in fear is that you can't live in denial either. Everybody just has their one weird thing in life that they 
have to deal with. Some of us have several. Uh, I may <laughs> be in that category, but you know, you have to figure out where the one weird thing or three weird things or whatever fit in the overall picture of your life. I think my parents did a really good job of teaching me how to keep it in perspective and not something I've been able to hold on to as I go through life. But if you struggle with that, that's something you need to work on. But at the same time, I often say that my TGA is about 1% of my life. But I also have to recognize that it's the 1% that makes the other 99% possible. Oh, wow. That's actually pretty profound, Sarah. Wow. It is. Oh, truly. No, truly. But I think that's really amazing that you said that you don't let it define you, and yet it makes the rest of your life be what it is. Because I think you guys are amazing. And I think it's kind of like the story about the butterfly. So you have the caterpillar who's going to morph into a butterfly, but if it doesn't fight to get out of its cocoon, it dies. If somebody else opens it up for the caterpillar, mm-hmm. it dies. It has to go through that struggle. And I think that Nicole and you, you guys have really had to struggle to be where you are today. And I think it's made you such powerful people. Wow. That's just my opinion. Of course, I'm your number one fan. So what can, uh-huh. what can I say? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Okay, Nicole, we just have a couple of minutes left. So tell me what advice you have for parents of children with CHDs so they can help make this transition from teen to adult as seamless as possible. Parents need to educate their children. I believe that only letting the CHD be the 1% of our life, but yet it's the 1% that allows the other 99% to happen comes through education. You let them live and grow, but they need to know everything they can about themselves because it's part of their body and it's going to live with them until the last breath they take. When they pick up the baton as an adult, just like we raise our kids to be good adults, we raise them to pick the right mates if that's what they decide to do. We teach them the same thing about their bodies and what they need to do to take care of them as best they can and get them through adulthood. Because one day we have to back off and we're not going to be around to do it. Right. And it's what we teach them from little guys all the way up that stays with them forever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love it. It's all perfect. Thank you so much, Nicole. That really is excellent. The advice I would give to any adult with congenital heart defect is to just be kind to yourself and to find those opportunities to pay it forward. I love it. I love it. Well, I can't believe it, but our time is already up. So thank you so much for coming on the show, Nicole. It's been a lot of fun. Well, thank you so much for coming on this show, Sarah. Wonderful. I had a great time today. Thank you for having me so much. It was a great experience. This has been so much fun. That concludes this episode of Heart to Heart with Anna. Thanks for listening today. Please come back next week on Tuesday at noon Eastern time. Until then, please check out our website, hearttoheartwithanna.com, and support our sponsor, Baby Hearts Press. Most importantly, remember, my friends, you are not alone.